Good morning. May I have to turn me down a little bit. Is, is it wonderful to be with the Lord, is it not? It's just wonderful. You know, I encourage you to worship that way at home. A lot of people, they run out of words and so they stop. The song ends, so they stop. There's something about a sound. I'm not teaching on this. Oh, help me, Lord. But every single time, well, not every time, most of the times you see in Scripture where, in a sense, heaven literally opens and touches the earth is described as what we would understand as white noise, fire. If you ever heard of fire go through an actual forest, it's like, whoosh, like white noise. It's described as the sound of rushing waters. It's described as a mighty rushing wind, Acts chapter 2. There wasn't a wind, it says there was a sound. And I do believe that it is worship in heaven. And I encourage you, worship like that at home. Sometimes it's sound, not just intellect. We will worship the Lord in spirit and in truth. I will sing with the spirit and I will sing with understanding. Isn't God good? All right. You all well this morning? Good? Happy? Healthy? What is it? Happy, healthy, wealthy, and wise? I think Benjamin Franklin said that. All right. I want to um, <clears throat> do something this morning. First, I want to speak to you a little bit about uh, my wife and I. We're going on a sabbatical. And it's, it's a strange feeling, to be honest. We've never done anything like that before. Um, we've, we've been in a busy season, or should I say, we've been saying that for many years. It's a busy season. It's a busy season, and it's become a busy life. And, uh, and so we have seen a little bit of imbalance, probably more me than her, and uh, we see just the effect on the kids and all of that. So we decided to asked the Lord, and we've been speaking about it for a while, even with the elders, and uh, we even had a gentleman, a prophetic gentleman, come to us and say, it was actually a word of knowledge, he just, he doesn't know that, he's finding out now, um, that, you know, you guys are speaking about a sabbatical, and the Lord, in a sense, wants you to take one, and he didn't even know, so it was just interesting, so we've decided to do that, we're going to be taking out two months, and, but let me just say to you, there's nothing wrong, that's why we're doing it, you know? People wait till something goes wrong. That's not a good idea. And um, so we're good. Jen and I, we're fine. This, she's here this morning. That's good. And uh, we are tired. Um, I can't believe I've been leading for seven years. I've been in leadership here for, I don't know, 15 years, 14 years. And we've just never done it. And uh, we do think that we, well, we don't think, we know we're going into a busy season when we come back. <laughs> Hopefully it's a busy season. But we're going into a building season, a season of expansion, which I'm going to get into now. And God has called us for the long haul, and so we're trying to use wisdom. It's not easy, to be honest. It's a wonderful thing, whoever gets to do that, to take off for eight weeks and, and in a sense, do the things that our families need and so forth. But, and my grandfather's also sick in South Africa, and there's just a lot going on, but we are very grateful, and we spoke to the elders, and they agreed with us. And uh, we also included Greg and Michelle Haswell. Who knows Greg and Michelle Haswell? Apostolic Insight. And they're probably going to try come while we're away. I was speaking with him yesterday. So we're trying to do that. And uh, it's a strange thing. I've seen many better and greater men than myself fall off the wagon simply because they didn't rest. And um, somebody taught me a long time ago that rest is a very high form of faith. Because the Sabbath, they used to take the Sabbath in Israel, well they still do, even the military would take Sabbath and other people knew it, other nations knew it, army's going to rest, they're going to rest, 
on this day. It is such a high form of trust. And it's hard to do, and I'm just being honest. I mean, it's wonderful, but it's, it feels weird. Like, you just, I'm just not going to be here. And it feels weird. It reminds you that the church belongs to the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? And he, he builds the church, not us. So, um, we also, when we come back, we are looking at some new hires. We are still growing. We grow and shrink and grow and shrink largely because we don't have any space. And so we are looking at some new hires, and we want to put in a lot more structure and systems and so forth, which I'm going to speak about today. And um, so pray for us, for the Lord to give us wisdom. And we've seen that over the last couple of years, two years in the life of the church is not very long, and we've seen God bring us many what I would call builders, people with wisdom, experience, come from other contexts of leadership, of just walked with the Lord a long time, and they've all suddenly landed here. And that's a humbling thing. It really is a humbling thing. And so we have this great council, in a sense, forming. And it's a wonderful thing to see because we walk, to, we walk together in team. We have to walk in team. So uh, we're going to be looking at speaking to some of those uh, people and as we expand so that the leaders, at the moment, the leaders are they're just wonderful. The elders have been friends with them many years. We've been on a team many years. But we've had the same size staff probably for... I don't know how many years. And so a lot, a lot of people arrive, you think, oh, it's great. But in the week, it's interesting. And, um, and so we're very grateful to all of them. And the, the leaders are therefore often jumping in and fixing instead of equipping. And so it, falls, it causes a bottleneck at the top where we're slowing things down instead of equipping saints to move things faster and to expand the kingdom. So we're trying to make some adjustments. So I want to thank you all as a church. This church has given me far more than I've ever given it. Uh, it's given me my family, and my wife. She was here when I got here. And, uh, and we are just very grateful to you. So we are looking forward to coming back. But So next week we're leaving on the 18th. Well, we're, not, we're probably going somewhere. We don't know yet. We're trying to work it out. So we're leaving on uh, the 18th, and we'll get back in early September. So we will not be around. We will not be available we love you, but we won't be around and we won't be available. And we will be working with our children, spending some time with our family, and starting to plan. And we're also going to be uh, talking with Greg and Michelle while we're away about how to use the time wisely. You know, it's both of Jen and I. We already started to make plans for sabbatical so that we're going to be busy. So we have Greg telling us that's, that's not the point. So, um, so we... <laughs> We're going to be doing that. So, in terms of expansion, uh, we've spoken about ex expansion a little bit before. And uh, so, I want to quickly do this, and then I want to share some things with you. But expansion, we need to expand. Uh, there's nothing wrong with numbers. There's, there's, I don't focus on it. I don't even know how many people we have. I come from a church that was about 2,000 or 2,500, I'm not sure. And when people used to ask him, you know, for some reason, with some leaders, it's an issue. I don't know why. I thank the Lord. It's not an issue in my heart. But I was around him many times. He would speak at a lot of conferences, and they would ask him, how many people do you have in your church? And he would tell them the amount of people that were in the last prayer meeting. And he would say, I don't know, like 50, 60. And the response of the people would change. Oh, okay. Because in his mindset, that was the church. So it's interesting, but uh, the numbers in Scripture, it's not about numbers, but numbers can lead to impact, amen? It absolutely can. So we want to foster and steward what God's doing. God's bringing the growth, not us. We don't talk or focus about it, 
but we want to steward it. And so what we're wanting to do, and I've shared this before, but we ran into some lease issues, not problems, but we were trying to rent some, uh, some, somewhere else in the building on that side. Now we've signed a lease to rent another 2,000 square feet on that side, and it's, you can show the picture, actually. You are sitting here. You see that? So it's not part of the drawing, but that's kind of where you are. And we're leasing that side um, upstairs, up there. And that's going to be about 2,000 square feet. We're moving our, everything back there. We're moving our offices there. And then we're going to move the children back there, which means it'll be better facilities for the moms with children and babies because we have, I don't know what it is about this church, but there are babies everywhere. <laughs> and um, so we want to make sure that they're not locked down. I'm trying to think of a better word, but I can't. So we want to do that, and then we want to open this wall and um, expand out that way so we can fill both spaces for, for what we do here just on a Sunday. So that, that is the plan. That's what we're looking at. We've signed a lease. We're waiting for them to agree with our adjustments. So you can pray for that. So we are looking at expanding when we come back, and that's also the reason we wanted to just take a little bit of time now before we come back and do that. And I also want to thank Kevin, who has run with a lot of that, and he's done an outstanding job, and I want to thank you for that. Then uh, we also have a property, many of you may not know, if you've been here for a long time, you will know about it. I used to live there, and uh, many people have lived there, some people live there now. We have a property of seven acres, which is about three or four miles away. You can show on the satellite there, you see that toll road there? The bottom of the screen is going towards Reston, the top is going towards Leesburg, that's on the toll road. And so that's Evergreen Mills. That there's a little road there, Shreve Mill, which you can see, but that's actually the address. There's a little house. A is the house, B is the barn. And we've had that. We bought it in 2006. We used to, when we were much smaller, we did all our meetings there, all our prayer meetings there. Jen and I led youth there for eight years. You saw the power and the wonder of the Lord there. We really did. And uh, so that's always been our future site. That is currently with developers. And uh, developers have taken over like three, um, I forget what they're called, assemblages, groups of people, three groups of, you know, landowners, and it's all the way, almost from Heritage High School till Shreve, till Shreve Mill Road. If you look at the picture, Heritage High, High School is up, <laughs> about where the light is, so it's up there on the, on the map, and, uh, and so they're developing that whole area, I think it's about 300 acres, and we fell in with that, which is a good thing, it's what we were waiting for, and so instead of selling, we decided to build, and they will, the plan is that they will de develop it to be a graded pad. And they will, because since we were there, we had covenants we couldn't get rid of. We tried for, I think, 14 years. We couldn't get rid of the land covenants. We had land attorneys. Nothing would budge. We had, didn't have water. It's on a well. It didn't have enough power. Now there's been a new water, a new water um, what's it called? A power station and a water something. Help me. Water plant, that's the word. It's not a very big word, but I couldn't <laughs> think about it. So we, those have been built up on Sikulin, and uh, so they're going to be bringing all city water, city power to the house and develop a graded pad for us, something that we couldn't have done. And so it's just the timing of the Lord. And so we're probably going to be there in about three years, and um, so we can't just stay as we are for three years. And uh, we do hope to be building a church. It's a little demon. We do hope to, hope to be 
building a church of a, of a, a physical thing of about 1,200. And uh, so we, that's what we're looking at. It's all up in the air, but we just want to have an open book with you all. And it doesn't belong to the leaders, doesn't belong to me. It belongs to the Lord and to us. And it's together. We walk forward together. So we, we can't just stay as we are like this for three years. So that's why we want to open the wall and expand it out and just trust the Lord. It's going to be some steps of faith, but we take them together. Yeah. And uh, we have teams and people that are stewarding that. So in light of that, um, as next week will be, in a sense, my last week, the worship team, a lot of the worship team is going this week to Bethel. They're going to a school of worship. They've never, with all the wonderful things that they've done for us over the years, we've never actually sent them anywhere. They've never, you know, they've been YouTube equipped and practice and sweat and blood equipped. So we're going to send them to Bethel and, and they're going there to a worship school. So you can pray for them. They leave tomorrow. And uh, so that's a good thing. Yeah, that's a good thing. So, and, uh, so in light of all of this, mm, mm, I left out a picture. Is, is there another picture? This is possibly what we're looking at. You know, it's what we had to do to give to the um, to the architect, so it will probably change, but that's possibly what we're looking at, and there will be a second story on some of it. Now, I'm wired to such the fact that as soon as I see that, I want to start preaching about the church is not a building. That's the way I'm wired, but, you know, we aren't not in Africa anymore, and church under a tree is a little different in this nation, so uh, this is necessary and helpful and a place where we can actually have, there is still something called, you can have a holy place, you can carve out a space, a physical place where God is there differently. It, can, it is still happening. And so we're trusting for that. So, amen. Good? So, yeah, why don't we give the Lord a hand? That's a good thing. If you, if you have any questions, uh, there's a gentleman by the name of Kevin Poole. And uh, he has all the answers, and you can go to his house. He will feed you dinner. And, um, and he has a pool. You can swim, and you can take your kids, your extended family. They love it very much. So he's up front here. He owns an IT company. He'll probably give you a computer. It's just go ask him questions. It's, it's going to be a good day for you. So I wonder if you could turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 3, please. I, who's ever read? I want to speak a little bit in this slide just about Free Life Church. I don't so much want to cast vision. I may, may do a little bit of that next week. I want to speak about just a little bit of the heart, the DNA behind what we do, and the DNA behind who we are. And uh, every church has a lampstand. I believe that with all my heart. We are, there's a city church, church competition, and ch that, it, it freaks me out. I don't understand it. I celebrate every single time a church that even thinks differently to us has some victory or some wonderful thing. It's a good thing because we're all family, and it's a wonderful thing. And, um, but there are separate lampstands. Just like within the body of Christ, there are we many parts one body. There's an eye, there's a hand. The Bible speaks about this in Romans 12 and 1 Corinthians 12, that we many parts, but we're made up of one body, individually unique, but we work together. The same as I believe how God looks at a city church. He really does. So, but who's ever read specifically the epistles of Paul, and he starts by a concept over here, and he says this, therefore this, therefore this, according to this, therefore this, 
and you're like, he's thrown out about seven massive concepts or seven massive truths to get you to one thing, but you're like, wait, who, who knows what I'm talking about? Okay, so I'm going to do a little bit of that this morning. So let's start in Ephesians chapter 3. I want to speak about the church, our church, a little bit, and I also I struggle to do this because I don't like to preach the church. You preach Jesus and you preach the kingdom. But it's helpful every once in a while for us to look at this, and um, so I'm going to try to do it with a bunch of like almost little mini-sermons. So we'll start with Ephesians chapter 3. It says, for this reason, verse 1, I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ for you Gentiles, if indeed you have heard of the dispensation of grace, of the grace of God, which was given to me for you. So we're going to read the first 12 verses, and I just want to make some comments as a, as a foundation of some of the things that I feel God's put in my heart. So straight away we see that the grace that is on your life, whatever that is, the gift, the grace, the various graces, various gifts, are given, not earned, we understand that, but they're often given, but not for you. Isn't that what the Bible just said? That the grace of God given, the gift of God given for you, which is why we need to be together. Often people fly to conferences and people fly to find some great man or woman of God. That's fine. I understand that. But often what we're looking for is in the person next, next door to us, next, you know, to the next seat to us, in the next whatever to us, and they're right near us. But because we know their life and we struggle with their decisions, we can't receive from the grace that God's put upon them. So we spend thousands of dollars and go everywhere else. For this reason I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for you Gentiles, if indeed you have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God which was given to me for you, how that by revelation he made known to me the mystery. It doesn't say a mystery. You see that? The mystery. That's interesting. It doesn't say a mystery. Now, essentially, I'm not preaching about this. It's, I love to, but I'm not. It leads to Colossians 1 where it says the mystery is this, that Christ in you, the hope of glory. There was a concept. They could not understand it for thousands of years. God can indwell a man. didn't happen before. That's why we are new creations when we get born again. But he says this, that he made known to me the mystery, then in parenthesis, as I have briefly written already, by which when you read, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ. And this is why sometimes I'm like, Paul, this is great, but it's confusing. So he says, he made known to me the mystery, then he says something in parenthesis, but then he carries on the thought, which in other ages, so this mystery, which in other ages was not made known to the sons of men. That means people, humans. And that ages is eras or eons. So he said, I received something basically from heaven, Revelation, that in other eons of the earth, other ages of the earth, was not made known to people. And it's the mystery. And it says this, as it has now been revealed. In other words, when? In this age. We are in the age the Bible calls the present evil age. We are in the age some people call the church age, or the grace, the age of grace, the grace of God upon people. Or the Bible also calls it the last days. It's a segment, it's an era, it's an eon of the church. And it'll change when he comes back. But he says that. He says, which in other ages was not made known to the sons of men as it has now been revealed 
by the Spirit to His holy apostles and prophets. So firstly, we see apostles and prophets. I know that he's talking there, most likely, well, I believe, about the apostles and prophets then. And, but it's in the same age. And Ephesians 4 is clear. There's many other scriptures that are clear. Even in 1 Corinthians 14, it talks about prophets in, in a local church. And we see that apostles and prophets are still on the earth today. Hello. Then why is it that people get so weird if, you, you know, if someone is known as a prophet? <laughs> because, you know, I know there's no Old Testament prophets. I know inscripturation is, I'm not even supposed to be talking about this. Pray for me. I know inscripturation is over. You know, the scripture is fully written. But there are still prophets. Can I, the Holy Spirit is pulling me to read you this. Can I read you something? Somewhere here. Everyone that agrees with me is excited. Everyone that doesn't agree with me is not excited at all. They're like, oh, what's he going to say? What does it say here in 1 Corinthians chapter 14? And they don't have it at the back, don't worry. But it says here um, in verse uh, 29, it's talking about order within a local church gathering. And it says this, let two or three prophets speak and let the others judge, meaning other prophets. But if anything is revealed to another who sits by, one of them, let the first keep silent and it goes through some. So what's the point? This first can't apply to any church that hasn't established a prophet in that church or multiple the gifting of those people. If this hasn't been established, who are, in a sense, those who operate in the prophetic or have a genuine prophetic gift or office, if this hasn't been established, you can never apply that first. Hello? Oh, it went real quiet. Let two or three prophets, New Testament, this age, speak. I wish I had time to get into that. But it says, Now has been revealed this mystery by the Spirit to His holy apostles and prophets, that the Gentiles, which I believe was talking about in that day, on the earth with, with the early church, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs, so it's giving us a clue of this mystery, of the same body and partakers of His promise in Christ through the gospel. So what's happening here is the, you know that phrase grafted in, the Gentiles have been grafted in? Part of this mystery is to understand that salvation has come to all men, not just a nation of Israel, not just the God of Israel anymore, but the God of all creation. And this has come to all men, to all men, to all mankind, not just gender men, to all mankind, and that we are fellow heirs, meaning there's no longer one above the other. Fellow heirs. You know the Bible talks about a co-laborer, co-crucified, co-buried, and then it talks about a co-heir with Christ? That word is different. It is the word joint, and the Greek is different. Co means 50-50. That word is joint means 100%, 100%. You don't lose anything because of it, you, you've yoked yourself to Jesus Christ. <coughs> Sorry. I don't know how to do that fancy thing that people do when they cough. So, we have been included as fellow heirs, sons and daughters in other words, of the same body of the people of God that have always been on the earth, and now we become partakers of His promise. How? Through Christ, through the gospel. This is talking about eternal life, that we've been given life, okay? 
And it says, which I became, verse 7, of which I became a minister. <coughs> Sorry, I swallowed something. Um, according to the gift of the grace of God given to me by the effective working of my effort. No. By the effective working of his power. To me, who am less than the least of all the saints. It's quite a thing for the great apostle Paul to say. Saints, I'm just going to be, uh, I'm not, I don't have any access to grind. It's not as the Catholic Church sees saints. Saints are Christians in the Bible. Every believer. And he says, to have the least of all the saints, this grace, this empowerment. See, grace is not just unmerited favor to be given what you don't deserve. That's how it starts. But it ends with abilities and furnishings and things. And, and, and it, it empowers you. Grace empowers you with something you didn't have before. And he says, this, the gift of grace of God given to me by the effecting work of his power to me, who am the least of all the saints, this grace was given that I should preach among the Gentiles. See, that's like everyone is called, everyone under the house of God, but I have a specific lampstand, Paul saying, and mine is specifically to go to the Gentiles. I'll preach to anything, but I know God's more specifically called me here, much like a local church. There's the same for all, but sometimes we're a little bit more called specifically over here. To preach among the Gentiles <clears throat> the unsearchable riches of Christ, and to make all see what is the fellowship. That word is kinonia, partnership, fellowship. It actually is a word for intercourse, deep fellowship, of the mystery which from the beginning of the ages has been hidden in God, who created all things through Jesus Christ, to the intent, to the intent. In other words, for this purpose. So for this purpose, there was this mystery that was hidden about us being included and having salvation and having God indwell us and change us and make us new creatures and be included as sons and daughters in His actual family through the grace of Jesus Christ, through the grace of God, through Jesus Christ, it's amazing. And he says, why though? For this purpose, to the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God, creation in the Old Testament is called the work of his fingers. And, and, and the Hebrew talks about like his simple wisdom, all of creation. But now when it comes to the church, he says that the manifold wisdom of God, for this purpose, this mystery has been revealed in this age by the Spirit, for the, for the purpose that now the manifold, the many folding over layers of the wisdom of God might be made known by the church to the principalities and powers in heavenly places. That's you, not the principalities and powers, church, in case you're confused there. Why? According to the eternal purpose which he accomplished, does it say accomplishing? which he accomplished in Jesus Christ. When he said it is finished, it meant more than we realize. In whom we have boldness, now that we're in Christ, not about how we've done that day, not about whether we've kicked the dog or stroked the dog, not about how we're doing, how we're feeling, because we are in Christ, because things have now been revealed in this age by the Holy Spirit, 
of where we are seated, who's in me, that we are fellow heirs together with all of God's people for the purpose that through the church, through the saints, through the house of God, things will be revealed to the unseen realm. And then he says, this was God's eternal purpose in Christ Jesus, in whom, in other words, the next sentence applies only to believers. In Christ, in whom, if you're in him, if you're saved. In whom we have boldness and access with confidence through faith in him. What does that mean? You know that word boldness carries, the, the Greek word there actually means freedom of speech. Now I'm not getting political, but that's what it means. That is actually the Greek word. To be free in your speech. To be free in your expression. And some people say it's boldness to preach. It's actually not. It's boldness is the way they understood it for thousands of years. Not anybody can just go and speak to God. That was, I'm not a priest, I'm not a king, I'm not a judge, I'm not Moses, I'm not a, I can't just go and talk to God. There was a process, there's rituals, these th you can't just go up to God and say, hey, like to speak to God, Yahweh Al Shaddai was a big deal, should be. Now he's saying, in this age on the earth, something has been revealed by the Spirit that we can be included and you can have access with confidence. In other words, with no shame and fear, no matter what you've done, if you're in Christ. You can have a terrible month, do stupid stuff, but you can have, you can have access with confidence and boldness to express, to speak to God. That's what it means. Because you are in Christ. Because this mystery has been revealed, how? By the Spirit. But it says there, big word, through, or big phrase, through the church. Through the church. Can I read you something from two commentaries real quick? It says here, talking about the church being the ones to reveal, actually to, to see the wisdom of God be made known to the principalities and powers. And in this context, those are both the fallen angels and the holy angels. Those that do his work on the earth and the warfare that happens. It says this, David Guzik, a great commentator. He says, of course, God also wants to reveal this wisdom to his wisdom or this wisdom to the church. In other words, directly to the church. But in the big picture, God doesn't use the angels, how's this, to reveal his wisdom to the saints. But he does use the saints to reveal his wisdom to angelic beings, both faithful and fallen angels. This reminds us that we are called for something far greater than our own individual salvation and sanctification. We are called to be the means by which God teaches the universe a lesson, and a beautiful lesson at that. The love and the power and the grace and the glory of God. Another guy says this, H. Moll from 1800s. What then have they to learn from us, speaking about these principalities and powers? Ah, they have to learn something from which makes them watch, something which makes them watch us with wonder and with awe. They see in us, indeed, all our weakness and all our sin, but they see a nature which, wrecked by itself, obviously by the enemy in the garden, was yet made in the image of their God and of ours. The angels are called sons of God in the, in the book of Genesis. Was wrecked by itself, but was yet made in the image of their God and of ours, and they see this God at work upon that wreck to produce results not only wonderful in themselves, but doubly wonderful because of the conditions, in other words, of a person's heart. And yet God gets glory. 
to bring glory to the Lord. To bring glory to the Lord. So, can we talk first mini-sermon? Help us, help us, Lord, help us. Next one. What does this mean, church? Through the church. This word church, it's an interesting word. Ecclesia, or ecclesia in the Greek. Some people say ecclesia, but I forgive them. <laughs> this word, Jesus only used the word twice. He used about 115 to 118, depends on the uh, 118 times in the New Testament. But Jesus used the word twice, ecclesia. When he talked about the church, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And then he talked about a local church in Matthew 18. What does the word mean? And some of you have been like, oh, we've heard this. Please listen, because we need to all hear this over and over, myself included. The church means a gathering of citizens. That's what's the original word. It's interesting, because you need to be then a citizen of another kingdom in order to be in the church. Hello? So that's why you can't come to church. You can't, you can't go to it. It's citizens that thing on the wall says, my kingdom is not of this world. In order to become a kingdom, a citizen of that kingdom, we must be born again. And that church is a gathering of citizens. It's the gathering of those summoned or chosen, also known as the called out ones, those called out of the world to be Christ. Now the Greeks, they developed a lot of the ideas or they theorized a lot of the ideas about democracy. But Romans are actually called, often referred to in history as practical leaders because Romans took the Greek thoughts and they actually did them. And that's why, in a sense, they took this Greek idea, this amazing wonder of democracy and so forth, and they built it and established it. I have a Greek person going, yes, we are wonderful. Amen, Marina. So <clears throat> they took this and built it and established it and literally took over the world at that time, the Romans. And the Romans, the way they did it was they had uh, something called the Senate. It was not like our Senate, please understand. It was more like the cabinet, and I know I've shared this before, but we need to be reminded of this. It was those who the emperor, the king, Caesar, whatever you, who would ch choose individually, personally, choose and call those people that he wanted to be literally, they would come and live near him, live around him, live on the outskirts of the palace or the temple or whatever. They would come and live, and they would get to know him personally. And he would share with them his intents and his thoughts and his heart and his passions. And then they would be given authority through that relationship. And they were known as the Senate. And then they would go and institute, even legislate, the thoughts, the intent, the passions, the will of the king, the will of the emperor. This was known as the Senate. That word in the disciples' day is the word ecclesia. When we say the word church, we think of some religious thing. When Jesus used the word church in their day, this is important, let me read it here. The word ecclesia was a governmental term to the early disciples. In their experience, this was the personal method by which authority was personally extended from the king to a new governing member. So when they, they knew this, they lived with it, they saw it. So when Jesus said, I will build my ecclesia, they were like, oh. So he's called us to himself, so we can get to know him, so we can know him personally, into relationship, so we can implement his will, his intents, his thoughts, and his heart. Then, there's interesting, then he says this, the very next sentence, and then I will give you the keys of the kingdom, to the church. He says, I will give you the keys of the kingdom. Well, they're like, 
instantly, in a sense, they didn't understand it then, but it, it spoke to the fact that he was going to leave for a while. Keys of the kingdom is an ancient understanding where they would, the, a king would leave, either he'd go to battle or conquer some new territory, whatever. The actual king or gov- the, 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 the top guy would leave, the emperor, and he would, they would take a little key and they would sew it on the shoulder or they would tie it into the garments and this guy was called a steward and he would rule in place of the king while the king was away. And that was called the key of the kingdom. He said, I'll give you the keys of the kingdom. It shows absolute trust. I'm going to give you, personally, give you authority, and I'm going to give you the keys of the kingdom. I'm coming back, but there's things I need you to do. This is the church. To the intent that through the church, NIV, New King James, by the church, the wisdom of God would be made known to the principalities and powers. So we can't go to church. The church can gather, but it's not something we go to. It is not. And we are not conveyed in salvation. We are not conveyed into the church. We are conveyed into the kingdom. Into this kingdom with this great king. And he calls and gives us the intents and his heart through personal relationship. And he gives us the authority to implement that. That is what the church is called to do. Now, that's why Paris Reedhead, the great preacher of old, he said, humanism, the, humanism the, the, the end of all humanism is the happiness of man. So when humanism enters the church, we take all the things of God and we center ourselves in the middle and we take all the wonders of God to make us happy. And it sounds a lot like the gospel, but it's off. Me to go to heaven, me to get healed, me to get saved, me. It's the truth, but it's not the whole truth. Christianity is different. The end of all being is the glory of God. And that's what Paul's saying in Ephesians 3. To the glory of God. And that we're not at the center. Christ is at the center. And there's a church on the earth. And I know these are, in a sense, big things. I, I warned you in the beginning. But sometimes we need to zoom out to make sure that we keep the right DNA in here. Yeah? Because if we don't keep the bigger picture in mind, sometimes we will get killed in the details. So, now, more for us, Free Life Church. Come down. We started big, a little bit smaller. Now we're a little bit smaller. The Bible says that Jesus Christ, he says, I will build my church. So when we talk about this church, well, Jesus said, I'll build the church. So, it behooves us to know a little bit about how God builds stuff. Yeah? Firstly, we are given a lampstand. When a church is birthed, if it's of the Lord, of the Spirit, specifically in the beginning, he will speak to it about his plans and intents and purposes for that church. Now, we've had that happen. I have a prophetic history of this church. It's a thick book, and I've read it numerous times. But I want to read you just very quickly the words, the prophetic words that, in a sense, not all of them, just make up a little bit of part of who we are. And the first was this. Came through, each one of these came through reputable, reputable, prophetic voices, actual prophets that we know, we trust, they have a track record for many years. First is, this came many times, I didn't birth this church because I needed another church, says the Lord. This is not to be a work of the hands of men, but of God. 
It has never been our desire to build a teaching center filled with people. Never. And it still is not. It is our desire to have a building full of people that are filled with His presence. Far more important for us. Secondly, there was these phrases thrown around a lot in the, in the early parts of the, of the time of this church, a base church or a beachhead. A base, if you think of a military base, a base is a place that you go to be trained. You get trained how to listen to orders where you don't understand because you're not showing the whole picture. Hello, we prophesy, we know in part. Where you, you learn to follow orders, you learn to work as a team, you learn that you're part of a whole, and you learn to, you are equipped to have victory wherever they drop you. The culture of the world right now is equipping this next generation with the opposite. Unless you're called what, unless you're called what you want to be called, treated how you want to be treated, given what you want to be, you cannot succeed unless all of those things make sense. The church is to be the opposite. Drop me anywhere, we'll have victory. A little bit different. We were called a base church and a beachhead. A beachhead is once you've taken some of the enemy territory from there, you launch. But this means that we need to make it easier for other people to plug into us. And administratively, that's been difficult for us, well, should I say for me, and we need to get better at that, which is one of the reasons we're trying to expand a little bit. But that is what was given over this church. And thirdly, the presence of God. <laughs> that is my absolute focus. We have always had it in our hearts that this must be a place for the presence of God, to have God here. Funny thing is we've never had a person join us because of our amazing programs. That's yet to happen. <laughs> never has anyone said, man, your programs are just amazing. <laughs> that's, that's yet to happen. But there's this one supreme value that we have, the presence of God. And I will be honest and just be blunt with you. I've had to fight at times to maintain that one thing. Because I've had wonderful, good-hearted, good well-meaning people come and say, if you just cut this here, if you just did this, if you just did this, you would double. If you just did this. I just said, no. No. That one thing. Without that, we have nothing. And that is part of who we are, part of our lampstand, the presence of the Lord. And it is the number one thing we hear every time we, new per, all the time, I watch just the presence of God. Friends, what are we doing without that? Really? Now, obviously, I feel like that because I'm here, and that's what God's put on us. And we prayed for years, for years, and we still pray that people would not come to see a man. We do not want to build around charisma, around a personality, around a gift. We want to build around the presence of God. And everything else falls. People off the stage. There's no difference between us. But the presence of God. Moses said, it is the thing that distinguishes us from every other people on the face of the earth. Not your gifts. God's presence. Not even his power. His presence. God, Emmanuel, God with us. We have a passion, obviously, for the poor, for the lost, for missions, for good programs. But we've just 
been in a season, and maybe it's my own lack, I'm just being honest, I don't know, where we have a passion for all those things. All the things that the church is actually called to do is typically known to do, but not at the cost of letting go of this torch. And sometimes it's taking everything to just hold this torch. Especially in this culture, when we arrived here, it was not, I don't know, it just was different. But now there's a hunger for God building in this region for the reality of God. That when people come in the door, they don't leave knowing more about Free Life Church. They don't leave more. They leave having met the Lord. And their heart has been changed. I can't change anybody. Nobody. And this is the lampstand that God has given us. And we will not let it go. At any cost. We will not. And lastly, freedom. These four words. Freedom. We are called to bring freedom. And I call them Lazarus salvations, but I don't have time to get into that because there's still one more little mini sermon. I'll do very quickly after this. Friends, when Jesus, Lazarus, three things were saying, roll the stone away. Lazarus come forth. And then thirdly, unbind him and let him go. It's a picture of salvation. Lazarus was picked up by the power of God and sat and stood in the edge of the tomb but he was wrapped with grave clothes his hands were bound his face was covered his feet were bound there are many people that are saved yet are bound they've been set free from from death but they're bound hand and foot and God has called us as a church to be a house of freedom to bring freedom even if we do believe that demons need to be cast out of people because it's one-third of Jesus' ministry. Everyone except for one, maybe two, were people that had a covenant with God that had demons. And people today believe a Christian can't have a demon. It's just not true. To bring freedom, to bring freedom, to see a people live free in here, not bound, saved but bound. And that is part of our lampstand. It is part of our lampstand. Everywhere we go to see freedom come to people. Freedom. So, I said I want to give you a little bit of guidelines. I'll just have to mention these very quick. How does God build? How do we, what is the DNA that we have in our hearts to build well? Jesus builds the church, so it behooves us like, how does God build? So when I look at the Bible, this was something I saw many years ago, but it impacted me and I've studied it at great length. When I look at scripture, and all the scriptures will come up behind me, I'm just going to just go through this quick. How does God build? What is the, the guidelines when God says, I'm going to build something, I'm going to make something? How? And I see this same thing all the way through the Bible. First, number one, God is spiritual. Genesis 1 verse 1, and the Spirit of God hovered over the water. God is spiritual. I mean, these verses here, so that Hebrews 11, all things that which are seen, in other words, creation and stuff like matter, were not made of things which are visible. Think about that. The things which you see were made from things that you can't see. Think about it. God, John 4, 24, God is spirit and must be worshipped in spirit. Galatians says we're called to walk by the Spirit, live by the Spirit, speak by the Spirit, sing by the Spirit. 
2 Corinthians, our weapons are not carnal, meaning natural, physical, fleshly, but mighty in God. Zechariah 4, 6. Not by might, strength of man's arm, not by power, military power, but by the Spirit of the Lord. Because in the Old Testament, it was by the strength of man's arm and by military power, yes, by the Spirit, but that's, they were fighting against people. So the Zechariah stands up and says, there's a covenant coming and it's different and everything will be done by the Spirit. It is one of the supreme revelations I could say that my dad has. If I've heard it once, I've heard it a thousand times. He says, Clayton, unless it is by the Spirit, unless the Spirit does it, it will not last, it will not remain, it will not be real, it will fall, it will crumble. Whatever it is, work in a person's life, building of a church, unless the Spirit is involved, it will not weather eternity. It will not. God, whenever he builds something, he is first spiritual. Everything by the Spirit. I call it the parent realm, the unseen realm. But then, and all of the prophetic types and all the worshipees and whatever, they're like, yeah, God is spiritual. I told you. You know, the husband who's very structured and organized, they're like, see, I'm just free. No, God is spiritual, but he's also organizational. And by that I mean systems and structures and order. 1 Corinthians 14, God is not a God of disorder but of peace. Think about creation. God spoke by the Spirit and incredible manifestations. Let there be light from darkness, matter from nothing, order from confusion. Probably looked like a big bang because God said something. And this incredible manifestation, you see it similar when God touches a person's life. Sometimes the body can't handle it. And there's incredible manifestation. But what's the result? The earth, was a, before sin came, was a perfectly ordered system. It watered itself from within. The human body, think of all the systems and this God breathed by the Spirit. And something physical came. Spiritual, but it's a, especially before sin. Still amazing. Not so much mine right now. But still amazing, right? But we are still, thousands of years later, trying to understand the systems in the human body. Think of cyclical systems. Think about it. In creation, trees need carbon dioxide to breathe. We need oxygen, so we breathe out one and they breathe out the other. It's a circular system. It's a structure. God did that. God is always spiritual, but God is a God of order. And what happens often in a church or in a movement, the life of God, the spirit of God, the activity of God draws people. And they come, but there's no order. There's no organization. There's no nothing. So they just kind of flop about. Then someone gets it. We need to put some structure in here. Come on, man. Oh, okay. So we put structure in. Yet, what I've seen many times through history is the structure becomes the focus and they lose what brought the life. So now we get focus all on this, but why people came, that's gone. We need both. 
How else do I see? I, friends, I see this in creation with Abraham, with Moses, with the disciples, with the early church, all the same thing. The next thing God does, God is relational. Let us make man in our image. What was the first concern he had with humans? It was a relational concern. He needs another. It's relational. And lastly, multiply, fill the earth. God is missional. There's stuff to do. So you get the relational types, it's just community. It's just community, I need community, I want community, I want community. What about the ends of the earth? Forget those guys, I need community. Nations, no nations, my home, my community, my friends, my, just relational. And some people are built that way, man. They just, oh, just, oh. And other people are like, friends are an inconvenience. Let me tell you, you have to give them time. We got stuff to do for God, let's go. There's people dying in some place I've never heard of. Let's go find them. And they abuse people to do what God's called them to do. God is all for all the time. And one is not less than the other. The Bible says that God has gifted people to do administration. And it, in the Bible, 1 Corinthians 12 to 14, it puts it next to apostles, prophets, and workers of miracles. There's apostles, prophets, workers of miracles, administrations. Why? Because they make all those people make sense. <laughs> That's by my wife. Help us, Jesus. Friends, and this is something that we've tried, I'm speaking about us now, to do well, and it's been challenging to hold this one thing, but still create systems and structures, but nothing that'll challenge this. And so we want to do this better and we want to do it well. And so we've got some people that are going to come on board with us to help us and to build it better because I've discovered I can't do both. Sometimes it's better to know what you can't do than what you can and just be comfortable with it. Amen? That's what God put in my heart for today. God is awful all the time. We want to build God's way. Jesus builds... We want to build relationally. We want to build missionally. But it has to be born of the Spirit. And the organization comes to hold up that which the Spirit is doing, not that which the culture wants. That is the Lord's desire. Can we stand? Lord, we bless your name. We thank you for your word. Whatever was of Clayton today, let it fall. But let your truth pierce hearts, bring people together. Let your church, let your church, the body of government that you have upon the earth with the authority through relationship, let them see through the old scheme of the enemy of division and discord. Bind us together, Lord. Bind us together as one. Father, we love you. Jesus, we ask together, not just me, may we never stop being about the presence of the Lord. The presence of God. We give you honor, Lord. We give you honor. As we go into our future, I pray. 
may your hand remain upon us. May it never be about a man. Never, Lord. Never. We love you, Jesus. We thank you. We bless your name.